0: I have a survival guide to this busy season for you and it's Pixello. Pixello is a mobile-friendly all-in-one software that helps photographers get it done with one simple plan. Pixello wants to help you build a successful business all in one place. We all know the feeling of trying to find time to get everything done. Shoots, editing, finding time for your personal life. Well, Pixello is here to save your sanity this busy season. Pixello can help you with anything from business coaching to client booking, galleries, and more. Don't miss out on Pixello's holiday sale and the last chance to grab their founder's ring. Sign up for a free Pixello trial by using the link in the episode notes. That's P-I-C-S-E-L-L-O and use the link in the episode notes for a free trial of Pixello. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. So much now oh! Get it a little bit higher With the wrist I tick, I'm getting Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Oh Shoot. If you can't tell, I'm just a little extra happy today. And if you're wondering why, it's because this is my 100th podcast episode. You guys, we have been through 100 episodes together. Well, technically this is the 100th episode, but this is amazing. I honestly never really thought that I would record 100 episodes, but here we are. And I'm so thankful for every single one of you. I've had over 750,000 downloads of my podcast so far over 750 downloads. So that's just insane to me. I have had tons of amazing guests on this podcast. We've talked about so many good topics from posing to camera settings to editing to gear to booking. Like literally, we've talked about so much. and, It's just going to keep on getting better, guys. I, because of this 100th episode, I have decided to compile a list of some of my favorite episodes in case maybe you're just starting this podcast and you're starting from the beginning or not the beginning, you're starting from the end, like the most recent episode. I'm going to tell you guys which episodes are some of my favorite, also some of the most popular. Yeah. So, Episode number three is how to become a full-time photographer with Ashton Brooke. This is a great one to re-listen to. If you've already listened to it, if you haven't go listen to this episode, episode 55, creating unique images with Larkin Kendall. This was such a good podcast episode. Definitely go back and listen to that one for sure. I honestly can listen to that episode. Like, 10 times in a row like I feel like I learned something new every time I listen to that one episode 75 posing naturally with Don Jarvis great episode for posing episode 66 working with awkward clients this one is just with me it's not with like a guest but that one was a really popular episode of mine I think because a lot of you just deal with awkward clients like me So that's a good one. Go back and listen to that. And then episode 13, how to pose and make Your clients comfortable with Bailey Dennis. That's also a super great episode. Every single episode, in my opinion, has been awesome. Like I love every single episode of this podcast, but just to give you guys a little list, if you want to go back, revisit some episodes, there we have it. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you everyone for being here for my 100th episode. Oh my gosh. All right. So, let's jump into some life updates and then we're going to get into the editing portion of today's episode. This is part 2 of editing 101. So, we're going to get into some good editing details today. Yeah, we're going to we're going to get into it for real. I decided today that I am not recording for YouTube, although this is my one hundredth episode. You'd think that this would be the episode I would put on YouTube, but like, man, I'm just tired, like I'm just like it is so much easier to just record this episode and not like set up my camera and like have to edit visuals. I'm like, you know what, we're just doing audio today, although I did do my hair and makeup, so i I am looking okay, but we're just we're just doing audio today, guys. So one life update that I have for you. I don't know if you have been listening for like, I think it was probably like 10 episodes ago or something like that. I mentioned that I like booked out for 2022, but I took way too many weddings, right? So if you didn't hear that, I think I told myself I only wanted to book like 15 or 18, 20 weddings at the most. And this year I shot 28 weddings, I think was the number, which is insane. So this year I'm trying to be so conscious of my booking. And I think my problem is I just like, I love booking. Like, In the moment, booking is like so fun. I'm like, yes, I want to book you. Let's do it. I'm free. Yeah, I already have a wedding this weekend, but I don't care. Like, I'll be fine. And then in the moment, I'm like, I hate the decision that I made. Like, to book way too much, basically. I hate that decision. So because of that, I went through and reevaluated my weddings for this year and discovered that I already have 18 weddings booked. And I, my limit is 20 for this year. So I'm only taking two more weddings, sorry, 20 for next year, 2023. I'm only taking two more weddings. And that's really hard for me because I just like, I want to book everybody. It's so hard, but also I'm a, I'm a real life person and I need to have boundaries and I need to be able to take breaks and not literally hate life in the summer. So we'll see if I book out for 2023. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I'm just really excited for like everything I have planned in 2023. I don't know if you guys feel the same, but I just have so many fun plans. I have trips planned. I have weddings planned, um, like personal goals and things that we're doing. And I'm just like, so excited and that's such a good feeling when you're in December and you're like I cannot wait for January that's when you know like it's going to be a good year. Okay, so that's my only life update. Uh we're going to get into today's episode editing 101. <laughs> this reminded me of this editing workshop that I did. If you are like a long-time listener or you're a long-time part of like my Photography community, I did a bunch of workshops at the end of last year into the beginning of 2022. It was like January, February 2022. I was doing these free workshops in my Facebook group and I did an editing workshop. And the reason I'm saying this is because, (laughs) it's because, (laughs) I'm sorry, it's because I did this workshop. And when I went to share my screen, so I did these workshops live on Zoom, and when I went to share my screen, I like accidentally thought I was sharing my screen, like and I was showing like Lightroom and everything, and instead of sharing my screen, it literally paused my screen sharing because I like switched to another tab and I didn't realize it. And me being the very um, focused person that I am, I turned all my notifications on do not disturb. You know, I locked my door. I had Charlie leave and go do something because I was like, I am in the zone. No one's bothering me. I'm doing this workshop. I don't want to be interrupted. Well, turns out it was a scenario where I needed to be interrupted because no one could see what I was talking about in this editing workshop for like 10 minutes straight. It literally was the most embarrassing thing I've ever done. I had, like, when I turned my phone off of Do Not Disturb, I had, like, 20 missed calls. I had so many texts. I got got emails, like, DMs. It was crazy. Um, Thankfully, a lot of people stuck around. But it was just quite embarrassing. So if you remember that, you are a real OG. And I've definitely, ever since then, really thought about I've been very conscious of screen sharing and just making sure my screen is always visible when I am screen sharing. Okay. So that's what made me think of this horrible editing workshop experience that I had um, because we're talking about editing today. So today we are going to be deep diving a little bit more into what I actually do when I'm editing and it's going to be hard to talk about this without actually being able to show you guys, but I'm going to try really hard to very well describe everything that I'm talking about. And I'm going to try super hard to make sure that it's very clear, everything that I'm talking about. So basically the first thing that I want to say is editing takes place in the develop tab. And even to back up a little bit, I edit everything in Lightroom Classic. So this is a version of Lightroom that's only available for desktop, but I do believe you have like a little bit more capabilities than if you were to use Lightroom CC, which is another version of Lightroom. So I'm using Lightroom Classic. Um, I edit in the develop tab of Lightroom and there's a few sections that I will mainly focus on when I'm editing. There's the basic exposure settings. This is um, exposure, contrast, highlights, whites, blacks, shadows, like saturation. That's this one area in Lightroom that I'm describing. It's the exposure settings, like the basic settings. And really, this is the area that I hang out the most, right? Like this is where... I am making the the everyday tweaks to all of my photos. So as I'm going through and editing my photos, I mainly like copy paste, fix exposure, temperature, tint, copy paste, and just keep going on like that. Sometimes I do sync my settings, um, and then after I sync, though, I go through every single photo and tweak the basic exposure settings. Then another area that is super important. Is the tone curves, which I believe is right underneath the basic exposure area in Lightroom. So, tone curves are essential to make a good base preset, but once you set these, you don't need to tweak them per photo. Like, the tone curves are there to give you your style that's going to give you consistency for every single photo, but like, you don't have to tweak it once it's set. Okay. And I, I'm going to try later in this episode to deep dive into the tone curve. We'll see how well that goes because it's a very visual aspect, but we will try. The next area is HSL and color. So this section of Lightroom is where I'm making tweaks per image, but they're like color tweaks and they're not exposure tweaks, you know? So if I look at a photo and I see like, oh, the skin tone's too orange, you know, that's when I'm going to the HSL color section and trying to fix that. Or I'm like, oh, the water's too blue. That's an HSL color correction, okay? I find that the main thing that the HSL section impacts is skin tone, greens, jeans, and water. (laughs) I didn't mean to rhyme that, but those are the main things that you're going to see impacted within the HSL color section. Calibration is also a thing that's going to impact that, but primarily I find that HSL and color is the main impact for those four things. Skin tone is going to be primarily in the reds and the oranges in HSL, then we have the yellows and the greens, which is going to be grass and trees. I find that actually a lot of greenery. So, if I'm shooting in the forest or in, in an open grass field, a lot of greenery is actually yellow. Like you don't realize it, but there's a lot of yellow undertones in the color green. And sometimes, if it's the right lighting, the grass might not even be. Like, green might not even affect the grass at all. You're going to need to change the yellow. So that's an area of greens, the yellows and the greens. Then we have jeans and water, which is primarily blues, aqua, a little bit of purple. I don't find myself using purple or magenta that often in HSL. Like, I just don't really feel like I shoot that color that much. So I find myself not really messing with those very often. So that's the HSL section. Then we have color grading, which is underneath HSL and color grading. I will use less frequently than exposure and HSL, but I use it more frequently than the tone curves. So the tone curves like I said, are a one and done thing. Like you really are not gonna need to be tweaking that too much as you're editing through your photos. I I find that really the only time I'm tweaking the tone curves is when I'm literally making a new preset. Because once you have the tone curves in place, they're good to go. Color grading, it's, it's not very often that I'm changing color grading. I do add color grading to my presets and I'll explain in a little bit how I like to use color grading. But, like, it's one of those things where it's helpful in certain scenarios, but other scenarios, you don't really need it. So, color grading. I find that when you are using color grading, the best way to use it as... It's like... (laughs) Oh, man, I'm really stumbling over my words right now. The best way to use color grading is like as an alternative to temperature and tint Um, and i'll dive into this in a little bit but for the most part color grading is what i'm using when i don't want to change temperature and tint then underneath that at the very 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 bottom of lightroom classic is calibration this is not going to be an option on lightroom cc it just doesn't exist on lightroom cc But calibration essentially is changing the red, the green, and the blue pixels of the image and not necessarily like just the red, green, blue, visual blues, reds, and greens. Um, I, I think that was kind of a bad explanation. So let me try to explain it better. When you are using calibration, if you look at a photo and you look at the color orange, let's say, within the color orange, there is a percentage of RGB pixels that make up the color orange, right? This is what we learned in our class in like middle school. You know, let's say it's 60% red and 30% green and 10% blue. That makes up the color orange. I just made that up, by the way. I don't think that's true. But basically to get any color that exists, you need the primary colors and all colors are just a mix of the primary colors, right? So what the calibration section in Lightroom is doing is changing the actual pixels of the RGB colors. And you're able to kind of like get a very unique look to your photos. You can literally turn certain colors into other colors. So I don't know if you guys remember way back in the day, the teal and orange look was really popular. (laughs) Um, And the way that you got the teal and orange look was in calibration. So you were pulling the red hue slider for the red pixels, pulling it all the way towards orange. So basically any pixel that's orange, that's red is gonna turn into an orange. And then you take the blue hue slider and you pull it all the way towards teal. So any blue that exists in any color is going to be a little bit more teal. So that's how you got that really intense orange and teal look. I find that cal- calibration is a really fun way to add a unique style to your coloring. And that this is where I find that a lot of presets vary like they vary in calibration like this is kind of the area where you have your fun with it and get like a little bit of a unique look and style. So let's talk about how to make a preset okay since we're talking about presets. There are five things that I do in every single preset and this is the exact order that I do them. The first thing that I do is I change the tone curves okay. First I start with the linear tone curve And then I move on to the RGB tone curves. Again, I'm going to explain the tone curves in a little bit. Then after that, I go into the basic exposure setting area and I tweak all of those settings to get exactly the exposure that I want. Okay. So at this point, I am getting the exact look that I want as far as exposure goes. The tone curve impacts that and then the basic exposure is where I tweak it to get the exact look for exposure. Then I go into calibration and this is where I start to mess around with colors a little bit. I move around the sliders, see what I like. After that, I'm going into the HSL section and changing the visible colors. So I'm changing the visible reds and the visible blues and just sliding my hues around, sliding my saturations to see how I like certain colors to look. You know, some people like a little bit more of a vibrant orange skin tone. Some people like, you know, their skin tone to be a little less noticeable. Same with blues and greens. You know, everyone has their preferences. So that's the section that I do that for my presets. And then the last section is color grading. And like I mentioned, I'm going to use color grading as kind of like a substitution for temperature and tint sometimes. And I find that if you want like a very specific undertone color or like a subtle color to shine through in your photos, color grading is where I'm gonna do it. So those are the five things that I do to make a preset. And then I literally click the plus button on the left-hand side and say, create preset with these settings. What you wanna make sure though when you're making presets is you're not changing temperature, tint or exposure. So if you really sit down and think about this, you change temperature and for every like photo. If you're shooting on auto white balance, let's say, your photo is gonna load into Lightroom with the white balance that you shot it at. So if you change white balance for preset and let's say you make it perfect for the photo that you're making the preset on and you save it, the next photo that you use it on, let's say it was a little bit cooler toned and like, but then you paste over this really warm toned color temperature preset onto it. And it's just like not looking good. It's really, really, really orange. So that's a scenario where like, you want to make sure that you're leaving everything as shot. Same with exposure, you know, that simple exposure slider varies photo to photo, depending on where you're shooting, how bright it is, how dark it is. So leave all of those things at, z- at zero for exposure and then at as shot for the other ones because that's something that's gonna be need- needed to tweak per photo. You're not gonna need to like change that when you're making a preset. If you're like me, the holidays are the happiest and the most hectic time of your year. I always wanna look super cute, get dressed up, but that can be really stressful. So take some of that stress out of getting dressed for dinner parties, office parties, family events, whatever, this holiday season. By trying Newly, a monthly clothing rental subscription. I've heard so much about Newly from so many different people, and they have the cutest clothes. Every Newly subscription includes your choice of any six styles you want to rent each month. You get to choose whatever you want for whatever you have going on. It's totally up to you. You also get access to thousands of styles from more than three hundred brands. Like they have so many clothes on there, it's so amazing. They have everything from party dresses, premium denim, one of a kind vintage pieces. They have it all. They even stock Styles in a range of sizes from petite to plus sizes. It's it's amazing. Newly offers fast free shipping, returns, and professional cleaning. So there's no laundry for you to worry about when you send those items back to them. Newly also gives you the option to buy what you love, and sometimes it's all the way up to 70% off those styles. If you're a photographer listening to this, Newly is perfect if you're not sure what outfit to use for a shoot or want lots of options and want to send some back. Newly is perfect for that scenario. Newly is the perfect place to get all of your holiday outfits out of the way in one go. You get six items to choose from, the option to add on two bonus items. You get Friendsgiving, Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, the holiday office party, Christmas, New Year's, and any other event that you have going on. You've got it covered with just one bag on Newly. Plus, they have something new this holiday season. You can gift one, two, or three months of Newly through the gifting platform Goody. Newly is flexible. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees. To pause or cancel. So, literally, it's no big deal if you lose a button, spill some whatever on your shirt. If you just need to take a break after the holidays, your life needs to flex, and Newly gets it. Newly is already a great value at $88 a month for any six styles, but right now you can get 20% off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code OSHOOT20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code Oshu at sign up to get 20% off your first month. That's n-u-u-l-y.com, newly with two use with code Oshu. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. Okay. So let's talk about the tone curve. This is a fun one, guys. <laughs> Buckle up. So the tone curve is categorized into five different sections. If you are confused about the tone curve, I would definitely recommend heading over to YouTube and searching how to use the tone curve in Lightroom because it's going gonna, it's gonna to give you a pretty good deep dive and show you visually how to use the tone curve. I'm going to explain it, and I really hope that you guys can track along. So within the tone curve, there are five different curves. The first one is called the parametric curve. And this is the curve that has like little sliders underneath it. I think it says like highlights, darks, lights, and shadows. This is the tone curve that I don't use very frequently. I'll kind of use it to make like very minor adjustments to my edit Kind of after I'll do like the exposure settings, maybe I'll go back and edit this tone curve. But for the most part, this one is not really my main focus. The one that I'm really focusing in on is the linear curve, which is going to be the second tone curve out of the five options. The linear curve basically allows you to put points on this line and the line represents your entire image. And when you, you're putting points on this line, you're kind of pinning it in place and allowing yourself to manipulate parts of the line without manipulating the whole entire line. And why you're going to do that is because you want to manipulate the curve to add in lights and darks into certain areas of the image. So when you are changing the linear tone curve, Bringing that tone curve up is going to add brightness to different areas of the image. And I'll explain those areas in a minute. When you drag the linear curve down, it adds darkness to all of the many areas of the image. The reason that you're going to create these little points, these little pins on the line, is so that you can add brightness or darkness to only certain areas. And you might be like, what are those areas? Well, I'm going to try to explain this to you because this is the part where I think it'd be helpful to see it visually. So when you're looking at the linear curve, there's like a middle point, right? So imagine from that middle point down towards the bottom of that line is going to be the darker areas of the image, specifically the bottom half. So the bottom fourth of this linear line is going to be the blacks, and then, as you move up, the second fourth of that line from the bottom is going to be the shadows of the image. Somewhere in the middle, we start to get into those midtones. Those are kind of like blurry lines, right? So we kind of we kind of forget about the midtones. And then, as you move up that line, so if we get to the three fourths part of that line, around that area is going to be the highlights of the image. And then all the way at the top of the line, the top right-hand side of the line is going to be the whites in the image. So you have those four different areas, okay? What you're going to do is create points along your lines to add brightness or darkness to those specific areas. So the most common shape for a tone curve is an S shape, okay? So the S shape would be the top half of this line dragged up. So adding brightness to usually the whites and the highlights. And then the bottom part of this curve dragged down, which adds darkness to the blacks and the shadows, which if you think about it, makes sense. You want a little bit of that contrasted look. You want it to look like an edited photo. And the reason it's going to look edited is not because it's flat, but because it has depth. And the way to add depth is to accentuate the natural exposure that you see meaning whites and highlights are bright naturally which means we're just going to add a little bit of extra brightness to those areas and blacks and shadows are dark naturally so we're just going to add a little bit of artificial darkness to those areas which gives us depth gives us that preset look. I really hope that made sense. I honestly kind of feel like I slayed that explanation, not going to lie. And if I didn't, then don't say anything. Don't hurt my feelings. So that's going to be the linear curve. Okay. Then if we move on, we have the RGB tone curves and these are the curves that everyone hates. Okay. Let's just take a minute and talk about how intimidating these curves are. You move them like two inches and it makes your whole image look bad. So that's why a lot of people are really afraid of these curves. But I'm going to tell you this, these RGB tone curves, this area of Lightroom is going to give you such good range of ability as far as tweaking your image. Like it really, this, this to me is what makes a good preset is the RGB tone curves. I feel like it really just makes a preset look like a preset that's like intentionally designed okay so let's explain the rgb tone curves so there's three curves okay one is the red one is the green and one is the blue and within these curves They're the exact, so basically they're the exact same concept as the linear curve, which I just described, but the only catch is instead of adding brightness or darkness to certain areas, you're going to be adding reds or teals. So for the red tone curve, if you look at it in Lightroom Classic, you'll see there's the top end of it is red and the bottom part of it is teal. And literally what that's telling you is if you drag the curve in this direction, it's going to add red. If you drag it in this direction, it's going to add teal. And then based on the reds and the teals, you can drag different areas. You can drag just the blacks towards teal, or you can drag just the whites towards red. You know, so... Basically, you don't need to fully understand, like, why would I want my whites to be red? Because at the end of the the day, you don't want your whites to be red. Like, you want to basically just bring out the natural colors in the photo. You don't want one color looking skewed or weird. So the end goal with using the RGB tone curves is to make each of these three curves look identical. Okay. And the reason you're going to make them identical is because they will cancel each other out. Kind of like that's going to make it so you don't have one color that's like shining through above the rest of them, like greens in the shadows, like, or reds in the shadows, whatever. Basically that's why you're going to make them all look the same. Now my recommendation is get one curve. So let's say we start with the red curve and you get it in an S shape. Let's just say it's a subtle S shape, like a little tiny snake. What you're then going to do is go into the green and the blue curves and you can actually click on the exact point on your red curve. You can look to see the inputs and outputs of that point and then go over to the green curve literally make a point and type in the input and output. You know, it's like 110 and then 97. Those are the, the points of this point. <laughs> or the cor- what is it, the coordinates? That's the coordinate of the point on the line. So what you can do is you can get the literal exact same curve on all three of these RGB tone curves. And the reason you get them identical is so then you can make just a minor tweak to one of them. Let's say you like a little bit of greens in the mid-tones. So you just take that middle point and you drag it just a little bit up towards the greens. So then you're getting a little bit of a green undertone to the entire image of like the mid-tone area, but it's not like overpowering. And actually the RGB tone curves highly impact the exposure of your image too. So what I find is a lot of presets, including my own, have the RGB tone curves pretty intense. And then the linear curve, the one that actually changes the exposure is almost flat. Like it's not, we're not doing too much there because you really don't need much like tweaking or not tweaking, you don't need much concentration to the linear curve like it's it becomes overwhelming as far as the edit goes like once you do the rgb curves and get them in like an s shape i find that it actually adds a lot of contrast to the image and gives your image like a preset edited look and then you just do like very minor things to the linear curve and at that point what I like to do is I go into contrast and I ash- actually will pull contrast back pretty far because I find that like my RGB curves have like done a lot of work and have put quite an edit on my photo it's almost too much of an edit. So that is the RGB tone curves and the linear curve and the parametric curve. I would say that's probably the most intimidating section in Lightroom so if you can get through that good for you like round of applause let's talk about color grading now I think color grading is underneath the hsl section in Lightroom and color grading looks like a color wheel like it's like this whole like tie-dye wheel with like all the different colors of the rainbow basically color grading is going to be adding one specific color to either the highlights, the shadows or the midtones of the image. And the reason that I said earlier that this is a nice alternative to temperature and tint is because it it does a similar thing to what temperature and tint does, but you just have a lot more Um, capability, you have a lot more options as far as like shades go. So like if you want to add orange, you can add yellow orange or red orange instead of like just bringing the temperature up, which is just like literally adding the color orange to the whole image. So I like color grading because you can target specific areas so you can add warmth to the highlights of the image. So it's only going to affect the highlights versus affecting the entire image like temperature would. So what I typically do for color grading is I will add just like a little bit of a yellow orange to my shadows in my image. And the shadows are like they're so underrated. Like there are shadows in everything in skin tone and hair color in grass and like You know, in different areas, if you're like shooting downtown and there's a building, like there's shadows on the building and that's, those are the areas that it's going to impact. So I like to do that because it adds like a nice subtle warmth. And I also like to add a little bit of orange to the highlights as well. I find that if you add too much orange to the highlights though, you get a little bit of like that sepia look. It's not like where you would raise up temperature and just the whole entire thing looks like the literal color orange. Highlights is a lot more subtle and it like gives it more of like the feel of you taking a piece of translucent orange paper and putting it over the image versus temperature is just like a lot more intense. So that's how I like to use color grading. I will use color grading for two specific instances. The first is if I'm shooting like let's say a wedding dress and the wedding dress is a little bit blue. Like the white in the wedding dress is looking like a blue cool toned color. Instead of bumping up that temperature to where then it's gonna change the skin tone and it's gonna you know affect and add orange to literally every single part of the image, what I wanna do is just target the white highlight part of the photo, which is gonna be the wedding dress, right? Like the wedding dress is a highlight. So in order to counteract that blue color, I'm gonna add the opposite of blue, which is orange, to just the highlights of the image. So what it's gonna do is basically gonna neutralize that blue and make it look white. And then you can also add like luminance to these areas. So I could also brighten up just the highlights or I can brighten the shadows and this is the second, example for why I would use color grading I use it for snow actually (laughs) so what I find is if I bring up the luminance of the highlights I I can actually make just the snow brighter and it's different than bringing up the highlights just in general like raising the highlights that's it does something different it like kind of just brightens the snow. I don't know how to explain it. So, that's another example of why I would use color grading. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about is calibration. Um, to be honest, when I'm tweaking calibration, I, you know, it's a one and done thing. I'm not changing this for every single photo. It's just once I make a preset and then I leave it. I I truly believe in the power of experimentation when it comes to Lightroom. So what I mean by that is just taking a slider, you know? So let's say we're dealing with the reds and it's the hue section in calibration. Okay. You slide that slider to the left, all the way to the left. Do you see what it does? Slide it all the way to the right. See what it does. Figure out which direction you like best and just like figure out how far you want to slide it. That That's really what I'm doing in calibration. I'm just looking and seeing like, I like this way versus this way, seeing what it does, picking a side and just kind of leaving it. Um, that's, that's how I'm using calibration. Okay. So just kind of mess around with it. I will say like a lot of people when they're using calibration, don't use it to an extreme. Like it's not like I'm going all the way one direction and all the way another direction in calibration with the hue slider. It's really just like, you know, 40 and under. So it's not like I'm going all the way to 100 on those sliders. So this next section of editing 101, I want to talk about what to look for when you are editing. So I feel like I just very thoroughly explained how like to actually make a preset and all of that. But now we're going to talk about like when you're editing on on a day-to-day basis, what are the things that you're looking for? So the first thing that I look for when I'm editing is skin tone. I ask myself, does my skin tone match all the rest of the photos that I've edited in this session? Does the skin tone match all of the other photos that I've ever delivered, period? You know, like, does this match my previous work? Skin tone for me is, I think it's a deal breaker when it comes to edits. And the reason I think that is because, your client, the first thing they're going to look at when they look at their photos is their faces, okay? And what affects their faces? Skin tone. Like this is the make or break of a good edit, in my opinion, is getting that skin tone consistent because that's what your clients are going to be looking for when they're looking at the final images. They're looking at their skin, okay? Let's be real. That That is the first thing that everyone looks at. So my recommendation when it comes to skin tone is memorize the skin tone that you like. So memorize like the hue of your skin tone. So how much red is in it, how much orange is in it. Memorize it for multiple shades. So all races, because you want to be able to look at a skin tone and see, okay, I need to tweak this towards orange or oh this needs a little bit more red in it whatever and uh, there's not going to be like one person that has the same exact skin tone as the next person all skin tones are different and the thing with that is like you have to memorize almost like the the hue of like the orange that you like and then just like be able to detect based on the skin tone that's in your image where that orange needs to be um, so that is a huge thing. Memorizing your skin tone. And then when the first thing that I do, when I get onto a photo is adjust my temperature and tint only looking at that skin tone. So I find that like, I can look at someone's skin and be like, uh, eh, it's too pink. So then I just bring my tint down and add some green tint to the whole image. Like that's how I can tell if something is Too pink or too cool or too orange. Like, I just look at my skin tone and I'm like, ah, that needs to be a little bit cooler. Lower my temperature. That's literally it. The next thing that I look for when I'm editing is neutrals. So, for me, I prefer my neutrals to be a true neutral. So, basically, true to color when it comes to neutral colors in an image. So, I look at my neutrals and I ask myself, are these actually neutral? Um, you know, is, are the whites in my image actually white is the black in my image actually black colored, you know, are my grays gray? You know, if you're shooting on pavement, look at the gray pavement and say like, okay, is this actually the color that it looks like in the original or is this too blue or whatever? So I'm looking at my neutrals and if they're not a true neutral, I will go into my white balance. So temperature I'll go into my tint and I'll mess around with it until I get them to a point where they are true neutral. If I can't get them true neutral by just temperature and tint, then I'm going to go into my color grading and that's where I'll go in and like, you know, add a little bit of warmth to the whites or I have the highlights or add a little bit of warmth or green wherever, you know. So that's the other thing I'm looking for. Neutrals. The other thing I look for is exposure right away based on your gut instinct. Is this photo too bright? Is it too dark? Then use the exposure slider to fix it. Look at your colors. Look at all of the colors in the photo and ask yourself, do any of the colors stand out or look inconsistent with the rest of my work? For example, if you shot at the beach, but there were traffic cones in the background, And they're super bright orange and they're very distracting. Like that's an example of like a color that maybe you need to tweak or fix. Or if you're shooting, I don't know, and your client wears a bright neon yellow dress, that would be an example of a color that stands out. And I would try to alter that color to make it look a little bit more consistent with my work. All right. So the last section of this episode my tips and tricks for editing. So the things that I do when I edit to make life easier, because let, let's face it, guys, work smarter, not harder. That is my life motto. Like I try so hard to make sure that my editing process is streamlined and it's easy and it's not taking me five years and not to toot my own horn, but like I did not outsource I don't think I outsourced any of my editing this year. Besides like Charlie helping me, I edited like all 28 of my weddings this year and like however many sessions I had by myself and I still had time to spare to work on other things. And I really feel like the key to freedom in your business is being able to minimize the time that you spend on more mundane things like editing. You know, not saying, uh, editing can be fun, but like, for the most part, you, when you stare at a screen all day, like it can get a little boring. Okay. So here are some things that I do to help streamline my process. First thing is I use the comparison tool in Lightroom Classic. It's on the bottom left-hand side of the screen. It literally says R and then there's a line and then there's an A letter. And basically it allows you to compare a previous edit in your session with the edit you're currently working on. I like to use this when I change lighting or if I, you know, go to a different location or, you know, whatever, something changes in my images. I like to compare two photos just to see like, is the skin tone the same, the exposure the same, whatever. I also use the grid view in Lightroom Classic. So when you switch over to the library tab after you've edited all your images, You can switch to a grid view. It's like a little option at the bottom of the screen. And what I like to do is look at all the photos as a whole. And I like to bring up my thumbnail size a little bit too, so I can kind of see more detail in the photos. So like maybe I'm looking at 12 photos at a time. But I do this because I'm looking for consistency. I'm looking at, okay, does anything stand out color wise or look out of place? Do I have two photos that are super similar? Like that's what I'm looking for when I do that. And I just find that it helps overall, like help me, do, it helps me do like a final review. Um, this is just like a tip. This isn't really like something for streamlining your process necessarily, but this is just like a little helpful tip when I am looking to get more of a film look. Cause I know that's really popular right now. I, the three things that I, feel like really impact filmy vibes one is clarity two texture three grain okay those are the three key elements um and then a little bit of like greens i feel like those are the things that really make a photo look like a film photo okay moving on so keyboard shortcuts for streamlining your editing process use the r button to instantly pull up the cropping view. I am using this literally for every single photo. I swear I crop every photo. So R for crop. When you're in the crop view, you can use the X button to switch you from landscape to portrait or portrait to landscape. You can switch literally the orientation of the photo just by hitting the X button. Um, You can use the backslash if you, I'm pretty sure, I don't know if this is just for Mac, this might be for PC as well. The backslash button, which is just under the delete button, that shows you before and afters. So you can literally hit that and it'll take the edit away and show you the original and then hit it again and it'll pop your edit up. I am always using this tool. This shortcut is so helpful because I like to make sure my edits don't skew the original photo too much. Like I want to make sure things looked how they looked when I was shooting the photos. So this tool really helps that side of things. Um, The command Z, that's just like a normal keyboard function that you might already know, but basically command Z is undo. So you can undo something that you just did. I'm using this all the time. You know, if I want to like see how um, it looks to raise up my temperature a little bit, I'll do it and then I don't like it. Command Z, it'll undo what I just did. Syncing your settings, this is something that I think I talked about last episode, but basically you just select your first edited photo, select all the way up until the last photo that you want to be synced, hit the sync settings button, which is on the bottom right-hand side of the develop tab, and then it'll sync all the settings that you want to sync across all the images. Super helpful. Um, Copy and paste. So command V. Is paste, Command C is copy. I will Command C, copy and edit that I just did, go to my next photo, Command V, paste it on there, change exposure, temperature, tint if I need to, move on to the next photo. Seriously, it is that simple. The last thing that we're going to talk about for today's episode, I'm just going to give you some recommendations for good base presets. In last episode, I mentioned that base presets are key for consistency and it really helps have a good base, which is what I learned in my first couple of years of photography. So a few good base presets that I would recommend. I've seen people use them before. Like these are just the ones that I feel like are top tier. Okay. First is my presets. (laughs) I'm being serious though. Like my matcha glow presets, my honey boba presets, these are presets that I've actually edited with and like have used for years. So that's my first recommendation. The Biba vowels presets. I know tons of people who use these presets. They're great. They look amazing. Very warm. Awesome. Um, the Don Charles presets. Dawn is a queen and all of her presets are incredible. Like I just, I love the look of her presets. So Dawn Charles, she has great presets. Lindsay Roman, she actually was a guest on this podcast. I don't remember how long ago, but she was on this podcast. She has some really awesome presets as well. So those are my recommendations for presets. And that is Editing 101. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening. I feel like I just literally word vomited for 50 minutes, but I hope you liked it. I really hope that some of this made sense. Um, And if it didn't, then like I said, go over to YouTube and YouTube some of your questions because I'm sure YouTube examples would be much more helpful than me sitting here and talking about it when you can just visually see it. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you for listening to 100 episodes. If you are a faithful listener, thank you. You are seen and I love you. Thank you guys so much and have a great rest of your day. Expose my mind to clarity. Oh, my spirit shutters. Capture the moment, oh, to keep my sanity. No wisdom rushing in. So much clearer. A bit higher with every step I take, I'm getting good, getting a little bit better. I'm climbing to the top, never gonna stop. I'm getting good. Oh.